Um, that series is going to be called Family Vacation. It's summer, we all go on va family vacation, and so that's what that series will be. Speaking of fa family vacation, um, who in here, when you go on vacation, you would say you are the planner on the vacation, you have the confirmation numbers, you have the maps printed out, you have the itinerary. Who, who would say, yes, I'm, I'm that person, the planner? You got to say itinerary, you got to get, like, memorized forward and backwards. Usually there's one in the couple. Now, who, who are you, who's the other, like, God bless your soul, you are the more free-spirited, um, when you go on vacation, I don't even know how you make it to your destination. They just kind of like usher you somewhere and somehow you make it. Would you say you're kind of more on the just kind of, all right, all right, it's okay, it's okay. Now, I'm the planner in, in our family. I'm definitely the planner. Um, I also don't do well uh, with change to my plans. I make the plans, right, and they need to go according to the way I plan them. And sometimes I get a curveball, things change. In it, I remember a, a vacation that Rita and I went on very early in our marriage. We were in the Fort Lauderdale airport. We were going to go on a cruise the next day. So I had made the plans to get us a hotel right next to the airport. And, you know, those hotels, they're going to shuttle you there. And it was also close to the port at Fort Lauderdale for the cruise. So it was also going to shuttle us to the cruise ship. So no rental car needed. I was like, yes, I've saved us some money got this planned out and it was all excellent until we go we get our baggage at the airport i call the hotel to get us a shuttle and they say oh we're 45 minutes from the airport we don't do shuttles so okay it's frustrating shouldn't be that big of a deal should just you know rent a car for the night figure it out or whatever not me i don't handle change well to my plans so um this is early on our marriage and my wife is witnessing her husband having this meltdown in the Fort Lauderdale airport. Um, I don't think the rest, I can't remember a whole lot of that, that trip, but I don't think it went any better because I had a life-changing moment in the Fort Lauderdale airport as we were getting ready to fly home a week later. My wife, who loved me so much and very graciously told me, said, hey, I love you. I want to go on vacations. And when we go on vacations, like we really go on, on vacations. I want to go on vacations, and I want to go on vacations with you. But if you don't get your act together on, how, on handling change and processing it and having all these meltdowns on vacation, uh, we're not going to go on vacations together anymore. She'll go, but I will be at home. Now, um, I want to go on vacations, and so that was a life-changing moment for me to say, calm down. We can lose focus and perspective when we have plans and things change or don't go the way we want. Or if you're in a time of change or a time of transition, a time of high stress, we can lose focus on the bigger issue. And what was it in the vacation was a relationship with my wife. And I was missing it because I was all about the plans. But with God, with God, he has purposes. We have our plans, but God has his purposes. Proverbs uh, says it like this in, in chapter 16. It says, we make our plans. We make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. We have our plans, but God has his purposes. Today's title of our message today is, is moving from my plans to his purposes. From my plans to his purposes. And, and we were in Joshua last week, Joshua chapter 1. And we saw that Israel was in the middle of transition, in the middle of a mess, a mistake 
that they had made 40 years ago when God had promised them the blessings and they rejected it. But then they were also, as they were in the middle of a mess, they were also right on the verge of a miracle. And God called Joshua to say, Joshua, you're going to lead this nation. You're going to be the one that leads Israel into my blessings, into the promised land. And today we're going to pick up in Joshua chapter 2 because they receive this word from God. They receive his purpose. Okay, this is the purpose. And they start making some plans. And it says in verse 1 of Joshua chapter 2, it says, Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, Scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. That was going to be the first kind of military city that they were going to encounter. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. Now, as I've been preparing this message, it's been racking my brain all week long as to why in the world is this story recorded in Scripture. Joshua sends out two spies because they're getting ready to go on a military campaign. And I'm going to kind of go through this, the story real fast because what fascinates me is the report at the end. And we're going to read that here in a second. But in between them being sent out in the report, they go to Rahab the prostitute's house. They meet her. Uh, apparently, they're not very good spies because almost immediately upon entering the town, the king of Jericho says, hey, there's two Israelite spies in your house, Jericho, or in your house, Rahab. Come and get them because we're going to kill them. But Rahab had, had hidden them on her roof. Her, her house was actually built into the wall of Jericho. She had hidden them, and that at that time she turns traitor on her country and says, they, they ain't here. I, I, don't, I didn't even know who they were, and they already left. Um, so I'm, I'm sorry, guys. And they believe her. The lie is plausible because she has men coming in and out of her town. She doesn't know their names, and they believe her. And so they go to go and search for these guys. Meanwhile, they're on the roof. Rahab then makes a deal with these guys, saying, hey, your God, your God, I've heard of things that he's done, and we know everyone here is afraid that you guys are going to conquer this town. So, because of that, because I just saved your life, I want you to save my life and my family's life. And they agree. They say, okay, your life, our life, it's, it's together. And the way you're going to seal the deal is... Um, she was helping them escape, too, giving them an escape route, and they, she was letting them down by a scarlet rope out of her window down the wall. And they said, you leave this, win you leave this scarlet rope um, out hanging out your window, hanging up so we can identify it. So when we come to attack, um, you and your family that's in here, we will not touch this house. And they agree to that deal, and then they go back home. They go back across the Jordan, back to Joshua, the spies do, and they, they give this report. This is the report that they come back with after they, they spy out Jericho. It says, Then the two spies, in verse 23, came down from the hill country, crossed the Jordan River, and reported to Joshua all that happened to them. The Lord has given us the whole land, they said, for all the people in the land are terrified of us. Now if I'm Joshua... And if I send out two spies and I'm getting ready to go on a military campaign, I might be a little bit disturbed by their report. Now, how many 
spy, how many soldiers did they have? You know, I would like to know what kind of weapons they have, how many guys we're going to be facing. Well, you see, Joshua, we got there, and we stayed the night at a prostitute's house. I, no, 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 no. Um, the walls, I've heard the walls, they're really big. How thick were they? Were there any weaknesses? You know, the gates, is there any way that we can maybe penetrate so when we, we embark on this campaign, campaign, you know, we can make it in. Well, when we stayed at the prostitute's house, she told us that everybody was really afraid of us. So we got it. All right, I, you know, what, how you spend your per diem is, is your business, but you guys are smoking something, you know. I, I, this is not the type of report I want coming back from these guys. I, I might be questioning, you say that a prostitute's house? I just, what is going on here? Why is this story in scripture? Because they're getting ready to go on a military conquest, and these guys come back with a report that we got it. People are afraid. God's on our side. I'm convinced that while these guys were taking, making their plans, while they were making their plans, I'm completely convinced that God was directing their steps. That this was a complete rescue mission. That these spies had one mission and one mission only. And it was to save a pagan prostitute named Rahab and her family. And to mark her home, to mark her home so it, it would be protected when the fighting started. That this story is in here because God was redeeming this woman and her family and her past. And this was a complete rescue mission. She believed in God. He knew there was a woman there that believed in him, despite never seeing anything that he, he had ever done. She had heard, and she had believed, and God wanted to save that woman. He was willing to move in an extraordinary measure just to save that one woman and her family. While we are making our plans, while we are making our plans, God is pursuing his purposes in and around us. And then this day, in this day, it evolved... Rahab. Who was this woman? What made her so special? Who is Rahab, the prostitute? Let's not sugarcoat this because some historians try to tell us that she was maybe a bartender or the owner of an inn, um, but really when you look at scripture, it does not try to sugarcoat that she was a prostitute, that she sold her body for sex. And we do not know how many hearts she had broken, how many families she had ripped apart, how many homes were, were, were ripped apart because of her actions, how many marriages were destroyed because of what she was a part of. Rahab, the prostitute. And we don't know why. Scripture doesn't tell us why or how she got into this situation. We do know she had family there. I, maybe she, it was the only way she could make money to support her family. Maybe she was just greedy and it was a good way to make some money. We don't know why, but here's what the results that we do know of a life like that resulted with pain and hurt and despair of 
of being gossiped about, of being judged in her society. And ladies, I, I, I just know when it comes to judgment, when it comes to expectations on, on your life, you guys have it way, way, way harder than, than us guys do, just on the pressures that you face on a daily basis of, of, of being judged by your peers. Like, I can go to school, and I can take my kids to school in sweatpants and a hoodie and a hat and not think twice about it. But if you're driving in with yoga pants on a day-to-day -day basis, you're kind of like, well, you guys can just kind of shoe on in. I don't want people to see what I'm, what I'm dressed in. Or when it comes to the lunches that you pack for your kids, like you're thinking, you're like, well, I got to pack this, I got to pack this. But, you know, if so-and-so finds out that I packed this, oh, I don't want them to know because they're, they're, they're responsible. Well, you might as well just feed them cancer. Um, because of what the junk food that you are, are giving. We, we face these things. I, I got a small glimpse of this, just a small glimpse a couple weeks ago. Um, I was taking my son to school, and I got pulled over just outside of the school zone. And I got pulled over because I didn't stop at a stop sign. And what's funny was, at least to me anyway, I, I saw the policeman at the stop sign, and I stopped, and I was like, oh, I'm so proud of myself that I actually stopped at this sign. Only I still got pulled over. So I know that's what every criminal says. I didn't really do <laughs> I got pulled over right outside the school zone. As everybody's going into school and as everyone is going out of school. And I'm sitting there. My son's thinking I'm going to jail. He doesn't know what's going on. He's like, Daddy, what's happening? But the death stares I was getting coming in and out you would have thought i was trying to drive down the sidewalk mowing down kids you know the, the the looks that were coming my way i was like i don't want to be here the judgment rahab the prostitute lonely in pain not only in her life but also causing it in those around them being gossiped about she's the filth of the town, the trash of the town. Women were not respected in that time, and here she is, even lower than that trash. This is Rahab. This is our hero in the story. This is the one that God came to save. This is the one that becomes a model of faith for you and I. If we really think about it, if we really think about it, this is like a mind explosion on who God is and how much he loves you and wants to pursue you. Really? Rahab? She's the one? You're going you're gonna to go and, and, and destroy this town with this one woman. You're going to show her grace. Yes. Rahab. She had a God moment. She had a God moment that day when those two spies came into her life that changed her life forever. She met two guys that were not going to use her for her body. Two guys who had experienced God, who had seen him at work. And she connected with that, she connected with that, and it changed her life forever. And it saved a nation. It saved her life and it saved a nation. And becomes an example for you and I, the faith that she displayed. It's ugly. Her life was ugly. But this is one of the things, if you want to move from your plans if you want to move from making your plans to living out God's purposes, you have to come to God as you are. Junk in all. Filth in all.
to really be used by God for His purposes, you have to be open and go there to say, God, you have all of me, junk and all, and it's not pretty. We don't want to go there. Typically, we want to run from it. Typically, we want to hide it. We want to just wish it away. But God so often, so often wants to use those in our lives for His purposes. There's so much more. I can, I can relate to this. This is not a fun story that I like to share. There's a picture. Some of you guys write, remember this place. Um, um, we go at, is there a picture on the screen that we can show? You might remember this place in Los Alamos. It doesn't exist right now. No? Okay, well then I'll just tell the story. It, uh, the Canyon Bar and Grill. Anybody remember, remember that? Okay. When I graduated out of college, I got a job here. I came, I came here right out of college, got a job at the lab. When I um, first got here, all I do on Friday nights was you go to the bar. I didn't know, I didn't know anyone. There it is, right there. It's, amazing. it's now the uh, bathtub row um, uh, brew pub. But that's what it used to be, Canyon Bar and Grill. So one of my first Friday nights, I'm in, I'm in this bar. And I'm doing what I normally do. Only I'm by myself. And I'm starting this whole thing, this whole life that I had lived, uh, just partying, getting drunk, making friends, and, and going down a path that I knew in my own life was destructive. Yet, I would go and do it because that's all I knew. That's what I, used to, that's what I was used to. I was in the middle of drink three or four or seven or 15, I don't know. But what I remember from that night was in the middle of that night, in the middle of my drink, God totally came into my life. I was there standing by myself, and God says, Mike, are you really going to do this again? Are you going to try to live this life? You're starting over in Los Alamos. Are you going to live this life again? Do you really want to go down this path? And I, I didn't hear an audible voice, but it was so real. Like, you sober up so fast from God. He's <laughs> talking up to you. I was like, oh. And he had me pegged right in the middle of this bar. And I knew the answer was no. This is, an em this is empty for me. I don't want to be here, but I, here I am. And I remember I walked out, I walked home, and, and for, I had a God moment. Some of us have God moments where he speaks to us. Some of us have God moments where people come into our life who have experienced the power of God, and it changes everything. And I was in the middle of my sin, and God still loved me while I was still a sinner, yet Christ died for me. Rahab was in the middle of her sin, yet God still loved her and came for her and sent those guys into her life to rescue her. While we have our steps and our plans, God is directing our steps with his purposes. And it requires us, it requires us to face those ugly parts of our lives to see that God still wants to redeem those things. I'm so thankful so thankful that even in the middle of my sin, God loved me and met me in the middle of that bar. I even thought about, as we look at location stuff, I even thought about talking to the, bat, the, the brew pub or the bathtub row people to say, hey, maybe we can rent out your space on a Sunday morning because I'm like, God changes lives in your place. They, they change mine. Maybe we can, can, we can do that, but we're still looking at other places. You guys can be praying about that. But also... Also, not only do we have to come as we are, but this story, this story shows that in order to move from my plans to God's purposes, it requires faith. 
This was Rahab. She was messy. But how did she get on God's radar? How did, how did, why did God move in her life? And Scripture says this in Hebrews in the New Testament. speaks of Rahab twice. One of them is in Hebrews chapter 11. It says it was by faith. It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute, again, Scripture's not trying to sugarcoat who she was, was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to, who refused to obey God. For she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Complete surrender. Complete surrender. When she had faith, she confessed it with her mouth. And she was talking to the gentlemen, to the spies that night, when they stayed at her house up on the roof, she said, No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. And here's her confession. She says, For the Lord your God is the supreme God of, uh, of the heavens above and the earth below. She had never seen it. She had heard it. But she, she believed it and confessed it with her mouth. And here's the thing. Everybody in Jericho had heard it. But not everyone had believed it. And that's faith. That's faith. It goes beyond knowledge. It goes beyond hearing to actually believing it in your heart and being able to confess that with your mouth. And then, not only did she confess it with her mouth, but she sealed the deal by displaying it with her actions. She displayed her faith. It says, before they left, before the spies left, the men told her. They made a, uh, an agreement. They made an agreement to say, hey, we, I just saved your life. Now, guys, I need you to save mine when you come in to conquer Jericho. And this is what they said. They said, we will be bound by the oath we have taken only if you follow these instructions. When we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all your family members, your father, your mother, your brothers, all your relatives must be here inside the house. If they go out into the street and are killed, it will not be our fault. But if anyone lays a hand on people inside this house, we will accept responsibility for their death. If you betray us, however, we are not bound by this oath in any way. And she says, she says, I accept your terms. Surrender. She sent them away, sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window, a red rope, a red cord, much bigger than this to let them down. She had to display her faith in God by leaving this hanging there. Our faith, our faith is operating out of hope. She didn't have any guarantees, but for when she met these guys, she was no longer going to operate out of her hurt. She was not going to operate out of her anger or her bitterness or her pain or her loneliness or her grief. But she was going to start operating out of hope, out of who God was, out of who she had heard he was and who he could be in her life. And she was going to start operating out of looking forward and no longer looking back. She was leaving her life of shame and moving forward, taking her steps of victory in her faith in God. Her only hope, though, her only hope, they said was this rope. Her only hope was hanging this, this rope outside her window. They said, you leave this up. So we know your house is marked. You're going to have to trust us. You leave this up. If you don't, you're in trouble. If you go outside, you're in trouble. You leave this up. 
and we got you. You can imagine. Joshua chapter 6 is when, when the, the story of Jericho falls down. We will get there in a couple weeks. But you can imagine her hanging and displaying this rope, wondering, when are these guys going to come back? <laughs> they didn't say. They didn't give me the plans or the details. They just said they were going to come back. You can imagine her family during that time of waiting. Say, Rahab. Rahab, you know, guys, they promised that they'll always come back. You know, they never do. When did they, did they give us an escape plan? They just said, hang this rope up and we're going to be good? You know, they just told you that to shut you up, Rahab. Gosh, you've, you've, you've wrecked your life. You caused judgment on us. And now we're doomed, and you're going to put your faith in this rope? They got wives, they got kids, they're not going to save us. Rahab, what are. And you know she was thinking these things as she's waiting. She has no guarantees. But this, this was her only hope to display the scarlet rope, saying, I trust these guys. These men of God, these guys were different. I'm going to trust them. Listen, you and I, our only hope, not in a rope. But it's in the scarlet blood of Jesus Christ. It is in an empty tomb. He came into our world. He came into our life full of sin. Because he loved us. Not to just explore us, explore the land, but to rescue us. He also left. He also said, I will come back for you. We don't know when. When are you coming back? Jesus wins. We want to know. And he said, it is not for you to know the times of when I'm coming back. But until I do, display your rope. You are to go and tell people about me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and all the earth until I come back. Display your rope. Faith. Faith. We have no guarantees, yet we have his promises, and we trust him. I believe, I really do believe, one of the hardest displays of faith, one of the, the biggest obstacles to faith is for us to display our rope, to actually speak about what we say we believe. To actually put it out there on the line and say, yes, this Jesus guy... I believe he's the savior of the world. And I believe he loves you, has a plan and a purpose for you, and it's so hard. We, it's so hard. I'm not questioning your faith. But I, I also believe that faith is something that can grow. Because Jesus would often say to his disciples, why do you have such little faith? Like, it can, it can grow. It can nudge you. But I think one of the hardest things, one of the best ways that you can actually get it to grow is to actually speak it, to display it. Rahab. Rahab is a model of faith because she had to display that rope with her life on the line, trusting that God was going to come through. It required complete surrender. If you want to go, if you want to go from your plans to living out God's purposes, completely surrender. I trust you. I trust you coming back. I trust you saving me. I don't see it. 
I don't feel it, but by faith, I'm going to live it, I'm going to speak it, and I'm going to put it on display. All she had was this rope. All we have is an empty cross. And let me tell you, I say all this just to say this one thing today to you. When you get to that point where all you have is God, then you have all that you need. When you get to that point, say, God, I got nothing else but you, man. And you have all that you need. And God says, yes. <laughs> Finally. We've stripped everything else away. Your happiness, your financial situation, your, your, your trying, your, uh, we've stripped it all away. Now it's just you and I. You're trusting me. You're not leaning on anything else. It's just I. Then he's got someone who's completely surrendered to him, and he says, I'm going to move through that person. I'm going to save other people. She had the heart and conviction not only to save herself, but her family. He saved the nation through her, and he moved, and she was a model of faith. When he, all she had was the rope. All she had was God. She had everything she needed. For you and I, we need to know that today. When all we have is God. When all we have is God. We get outside our comfort zones, we confront our comfort and say, now I have everything that I need. To move from my plans to God's purposes, and he's all I have. When you get there, he's going to send you, you're going to see this, you're going to see this in your life. When you get to that point, he's going to send you on rescue mission, after rescue mission, after rescue mission. His purpose is a rescue mission. And when you have that heart, God's going to send you on those missions almost on a daily basis because, because you came with all that you are, all your junk, you're going to start seeing the people around you, not as judging them, but you're going to be amazed at the situations and the people and the conversations that come your way who have dealt or are dealing with the same junk that you did. Oh, you lost this relationship? So did I. Oh, you deal with this addiction? You know what? So did I. I struggle with that. But there's hope. There's a way through. When you start coming as yourself and you're surrendering to God, he's going to put people in your past that need a rescue mission. And you are the ones who have experienced God that can say there is hope and there is a way through. And I really do believe, I really do believe that God is moving in Los Alamos during this time in a, in, a, in a way that we have not seen before. I really do believe it. I believe he wants to use Freedom Church to be a part of that mission, that rescue mission, and I believe he wants to use you in that mission to save other people. God's, God's in the business of rescuing people, and he wants to use us, and, and I know, I know he wants to use you. But we've got to be able to get past our junk. We've got to be able to bring it to the table and say, God, this is, this is who I am. I don't like it. I don't want to acknowledge it. At the same time, you can use it. And if, if you want to, I'm not going to hold on to it more. I'm going to let it go. When we completely surrender to him and say, God, whatever your purposes are, not my plans, but your purposes, he'll take care of it. Jesus said it like this. Jesus said it like this in, in, in Matthew chapter 6. He said this. Seek the kingdom above all else. Live righteously, and he will give you everything that you need. Seek him first, 
Live righteously, and then he'll give you everything that you need. It's scary. It is so scary to be in this spot where you're trusting God like this. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, at the same time as it's scary, there's joy and peace and blessing that you've never felt before, and that only 